0: I was listening to NPR on uh-huh. the way here. And so I actually do, I'm going to say something that I don't know the end result to yet. It's just, <laughs> I got to tell you the thought. Okay. So I guess there's this job posting that was posted that nobody has applied for. No one. They, they put it out there. No one has applied for. But now that they moved it to a four-day work week position, whooshed,
1: Tons of applications. Yeah.
0: Interesting, but I want to know more, and I had yeah. to get out of the car. But I was like, "What?" And they did it. Yeah, we hear about this, but don't you want to know more? I'm really, curious. We've been talking
1: about four day week for years. Yeah, right. But somebody yeah, like I think changed
0: no. the job description. What a cool like little experiment. Mm-hmm. But on that note, what I wanted to also talk to you about was I mentioned to you that I heard. So you and I have talked about the studies of companies that that talk about time off uh-huh. and how if it's unlimited time off, people take less time. We actually don't. We do We do a great job, but that's because you 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 live it. Like my point, what am I trying to say? Uh-huh. Like you're
1: gone all
2: the time. He's Steve. gone all the time. It's, it's like, so he's I like, yeah.
0: <laughs> no, that's not what I mean. You support it. Actually, I think what happens to a lot of people in these companies is that if it's unlimited time off, if their boss isn't, they feel like, well, I shouldn't, or they always want to look better and whatever. They feel all these weird psychological things happen so studies show that they take less time off when there's not mandatory time off so that's just an interesting topic in and of itself Uh but i was listening to a podcast again i'm so sorry to mention my favorite guy again but i love that adam always has things backed up with research and he had a guy come on where he talked about where a company underneath under 100 people tried something new where every seven weeks they take, they have, you have to take, you have to take a week off. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, that, and and how they worked all the kinks out. Yeah, what happened? It's it's working beautifully, Yeah, but it all started, I thought it was really funny how it started <laughs> because the guy who they were interviewing, he is from Indian her- culture. So he was very honest with, he's like, this is not how we were raised. He's like, we work Hard. We do not take time off." And he was like, so we had this unlimited policy, and he was like, and I barely ever took my time off. Uh He goes, but then I had this guy move here from Spain. (laughs) He's like, he took all the time off. Yeah. (laughs) He also left work at five. He goes, but he got all of his work done. Uh So it got me thinking. So this guy from Spain got him thinking, and they changed it to this one week off every seven weeks and now the whole company is required. But this is what he said. He said, creativity and engagement is up through them. Now when they get in brainstorming sessions, he's like, you would not believe the energy Mm -hmm. in the room now because people are not burnt out.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Now
0: I am sure this is like not an easy thing to manage, but I just wanted to mention it. I just thought it was fascinating that the guy went there and that they figured it out. He said the biggest learning they had was when They do that, you have to have two, it's very project oriented, the company with with Uh clients. You have to have more than one lead on every project. That's the biggest, that was the big learning. And also you have to make sure that there's a big master calendar. So it's all about staggering who and when. So it sounds like a Uh, little bit of a logistic thing, but they've figured it out and they have a lot of happiness.
1: I love the idea of testing different ideas yeah, because me too. my just my brain explodes around this topic because yeah, there's so many psychological elements, there's so many organizational like design mm-hmm. elements. I mean, honestly, this is why I've come to love smaller companies more and more because you just can't pull this stuff off in big companies.
0: Well, and but, well, that was actually interesting because the guy said he thinks that anyone in a company of a hundred and under could do it. Adam Grant completely disagreed and said, I, I disagree. Yeah. I think a large company can, but you and I know that that it's like, yeah, they
1: can, but then the nuance, the devil's in the details. Yes, they can try anything, but when you do it, you have thousands of layers of politics at play. Yeah. You have the layers of how, you know, performance is, is, uh, evaluated at play. See, I'm already tired. Have,
0: it's like, <laughs> it's
1: not that easy. It's and hard. then, you know, yeah. obviously the hardest part in a big company is sure. Take the time off. But some people are like, yeah. then I have twice as much work the week before and twice as much work the week after. Right.
0: And he talks all about that too, by Which the way, in a small
1: company, you can, you can solve for that. But in a yes, big company, you can't. It's hard.
0: He also said that they absolutely make you check out. Like you are not allowed to do work on your week <laughs> off. So that's a whole thing. That's mm-hmm. a cultural thing. And also he, he said that people are doing things like taking painting classes and doing things, not just going out of town for vacation, like yeah. learning things. Yeah. And, wow. Good and episode.
1: He, here's the other thing that I think does apply to all size companies. If you can actually get clear on what uh, you you mentioned, the one person they were getting their work done, even though they weren't at work as much. Yeah. You can only get your work done if you know what getting your work done looks like.
0: Means, I know. but most oh, people so in their true. jobs don't, don't
1: actually have a clear definition of what they're responsible for, what has to be delivered by when. So true. So how do you know if your work's done or not? It isn't. It isn't ever done. It's just your work is responding Endless. to emails yep. endlessly. So I and if I've you're always... still
0: responding, then I still must be responding. Exactly, and
1: it's a domino. Yep. So I've always thought a lot about this as. A CEO is I want to create a culture where there is clear definition of yeah. what you're responsible for mm-hmm. and what done looks like mm-hmm. so that you're able to say, All right, Goodbye. I'm not yep. gonna be here today or I'm leaving early or coming in late. Yeah, but I'll have my work done. Yep. I've been in environments where people say that and, and then everyone's but everyone's like, But what is done even yeah. look like?
0: It's a good co- that's a whole conversation. That's a whole you just keep Oh,
1: sorry. To... That's a whole thing. Okay. How long do you wait when you're on a Zoom call? And the other person hasn't showed up yet. How long do you wait till you're like, peace out?
0: I've heard different things here, but for me, I, uh, uh, f- f- 15, but sometimes seven. So why? It's
1: <laughs> that was so specific. I love 15's that you, a long time too.
0: 15 minutes seven. But sometimes, but sometimes it's seven. seven. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> never, never uh, eight.
0: Never, never nine. <laughs>
1: please say more. Just cause.
0: It's a, it's a weird. When is it just seven? When I'm I'm like, nope, I just know them. It's like, no, it's not happening. And then are you thinking seven? Maybe 15 if it's newer, like I don't know them and like there's a chance.
1: Uh My friend texted this the other day who's so mad because he had this meeting where somebody, for a lot of reasons, the meeting needed to happen. This person didn't show up and they were kind of just being like acting so... uh, so important about it (laughs) and didn't even say sorry and and he's like how long do you wait because he's kind of giving people too much he'll like just sit around the The whole whole time I was like oh 10 minutes I'm gone
0: okay yours is 10
1: because it's not it's not me being mad at the person it's just like we both have lives to move on
0: with yeah (laughs) now you know what I've noticed has helped me not be so I'm Uh just sitting here I turn my camera off and my mic off
1: I do that too yeah
0: and I think, and start do working other on things. Something else. Yeah. yeah, and then I'm like, okay, then it's not making me feel like I'm just staring, <laughs> like doing nothing. Yeah. So, but then the other piece of it,
1: if it's more than 15 minutes, I'm hoping and assuming the meeting is scheduled for the amount of time that's needed. So if it's like 15 minutes late, can you actually get through what's needed
0: in it? Probably not. And then I get scared. Like, like now I'm scared. Like what if they do? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. It's like, yeah. can't even be successful I, I, if you now are we here only
0: now. have 15 minutes. And what? Yeah. Yeah. Especially it. with
1: coaching related yeah, like, stuff. Oh, it's like, yeah. oh, you still want the same results yeah. in five minutes. Let's go. <laughs>
0: and go. <laughs> it's a good question.
1: Okay. Well, my gripe today is less personality and uh. more the world.
0: The world. Oh, we're going to grip about the world.
1: <laughs> I had a three different conversations about like the yeah, but isn't don't most new businesses fail? Like people who are worried about that stat that they would be caught up in that. And I said something that I don't have the data for, but I am pretty confident about. So I'm just going to say it and we're going to get some haters in the comments, but I think that the at least pre COVID, it's probably different now. 85% of new businesses uh were reported to fail within the first five years. Okay. But I have a new take on this. You do. I think that that number is way, way lower when you talk about people who have had experience in the corporate world. So all the people I was talking to, they were coming out of a corporate job where they had worked for a while and they had learned how to communicate and send emails. They'd learned how to Lead meetings and negotiate with people and deal with different personalities and how to lead and manage people and they had dealt with money and and so their chances of success in business are so much higher, like way way way, way higher because they have uh, these skills uh, that they've already honed in that a lot of people just going straight into business don't they have. don't have any yep. But right as I say that, I'm like, yeah, but you could argue the other side that um, they also get more hung up on their expectations are higher. They have a lot mm-hmm. to lose, mm-hmm. whether it's money, status, reputation, whereas I think um, a lot of people successful in business, it can it can happen because it's they came out of a place where there's nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. And so they're just going all in and they're not really trying to, uh, they're not getting hung up on all those things. So I I just have found myself telling a lot of people who are coming out of the corporate world, don't get hung up on the 85% fail because your chances are a lot better that you actually have uh, a lot of good like skills and competency under your body. I
0: love that he thinks people are actually thinking about these numbers.
1: (laughs) I'm guessing that means you don't think about <laughs>
0: yeah. that. Okay. Let, me, let me help you out here. Don't, don't worry about this 85% thing. I'm like, well, that's not
1: like what you no, and your friends no. are s- talking about n- right now. No. No. <laughs> I do. I wonder what the criteria, though, is for the 85%. Like, what is it just like, if, yeah, if you do close shop? Because is that really a failure? Yeah. If you're three and a half years in, like, how many people stay at a job for three and a half years? Well, that's the mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, it comes from government reporting, which is like, the business was shut down or went bankrupt. Right. It's all (laughs) the way
0: at the end. Like bankrupt, yes.
1: But like if you just close down the shop because like this isn't what I thought it was, that's no different than getting a job and moving on. I don't think that's failure. Yeah, it's so interesting how some people, because they have nothing to lose, they just like, they can grind it out so much harder. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're successful. But then on the other side, a lot of people, if they don't have much like work experience in a bigger organization, then they're they're so scattered, like they can't focus on anything because yeah. they're just kind of chasing yeah. things left and right. And so, mm-hmm. I don't know, It's um, it would be interesting to see actual numbers on that somehow.
0: Yeah, it would also be interesting to see how many people might feel how I feel right now, hungry, <laughs> and having to be stuck in a room with two people. And it's like my mind's going bum, 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 and you're trying to get me to think about numbers and thoughts, and all I can think about is a sandwich.
1: Okay. Today's episode might be one of my favorites in a while because we're talking about imposter syndrome, which is being talked about more and more. And so because of that, we're almost more and more confused by what it is and when we experience it. But we're talking about it together with Brittany McDonald, who's one of the coaches at Greenhouse, one of the newest coaches at Greenhouse. And it's just going to be a very fun conversation because both of us have struggled with this. We've coached people on it. I think it'll be a good discussion. Um, back and forth. So if you are in that camp of not really knowing what it's about, there's a number of things we're going to break down. But a lot of times the way it can show up is things like uh, putting disclaimers in front of yourself or what you're going to say all the time, having that confirmation bias and kind of looking for the negative things about you. Or it can show up in just constantly comparing yourself or discounting your achievements and not really believing you deserve the success that you've had or the role you occupy and so we're going to just discuss that struggle and also talk about some practical ways to get around it anyway I'm excited for you guys to meet Brittany another one of the greenhouse coaches in our line of introducing everybody to the team how do you feel about being in the studio
2: this is so cool I feel like like Yeah, this is cool. You've arrived. (laughs) I've arrived, (laughs) I've arrived. It's what I've aspired for.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this is fun.
2: Um, I'm excited.
1: I have to ask you the question because whenever a guest, you're kind of a guest. It's been funny like having the coaches on, you're not really guest guest, but you are kind of a guest. So Mm -hmm. I'm gonna ask you the questions I ask everybody. Okay. So what was your first ever job?
2: yeah so my first job i usually say mcdonald's but it actually wasn't i was a hanger girl and you <laughs> probably never <laughs> heard of a hanger girl but in my hometown uh-huh. we had a JCPenney outlet okay so not a real Penny, the outlet version
1: yeah and
2: they had a Are job that's even for... alive
1: anymore is Penny still
2: I, well Penny is
1: okay
2: um i have not seen another Penny outlet Probably just
1: a warehouse now. (laughs) Just a warehouse.
2: (laughs) But they had a position called Hangar Girl. Mm. And my whole job was to take this really loud cart and roll around the store to each register and collect the hangers that people took from their clothes. Oh my God, that's amazing. (laughs) Well, not so much. The cart was so loud. And so (laughs) if you've ever been in a department store, you know, the music is low. Yeah, Everyone has hushed conversation. Uh (laughs) Like it's not a lot of noise. And then here I come, (laughs) like through the whole store. It was so embarrassing. Everyone hated it. The customers were like, what is going on? (laughs) But I had to do it multiple times. That's the only reason I was there.
1: In the every single the big... one, you
2: know, it's like the towel for yeah. every little bump, and then the wheels were rickety, and so it was just the most embarrassing. I mean, I'm like, I'm doing my job, but why does it have to be so loud? Can like, we get a new cart, just, please, please, please? So now I feel like it caused a certain level of trauma because now when I go in yeah. the grocery store. I Especially if like my a buggy makes or something any bit of noise, <laughs> I put it back. I will choose five different ones before <laughs> I ever roll loudly through a grocery yeah. store, and it's because of that job That's as a hanger girl.
1: How old were you, Ish? Like, I was like what grade? Fifteen. Okay, yeah. So I was just teaching Lucy, who's seven, about mm-hmm. um we were at a department store yeah and i was trying on a couple things and we're in the dressing room area and she's like i'm bored i'm bored and i was like you gotta collect the little clips yeah <laughs> the little plastic clips i didn't know those still existed i was like when i was a kid and i was stuck in the department store i would a like hide in the clothes racks of course, of course yes and be like collect as many of the friggin clips as you can get <laughs> before it's time to leave right and then yeah. you have like a collection of them and she's like, "What do you mean the clips?" And we started looking in the different dressing rooms, and then one of them had the clips were everywhere. It's still a thing. <laughs> and so she was like, "This is amazing!" And she started collecting clips. And then I was trying to leave. I'm like, "Come on!" And she's like, "There's she's like, more, gotta clips. Get more clips." <laughs> yeah, department oh stores are. Gosh. Okay. <laughs> so then, what happened? Like. Give me the short version of yeah. from Hanger girl till now. To, yeah. What are the different jobs? Like, how'd you, what is your career path? Oh my gosh. Been I've had like?
2: so many different jobs. <laughs> I, the moment I was old enough, I had to wait until I was 16 mm-hmm. to work at McDonald's. And I was waiting until the moment I could quit
0: really? because I
2: was determined to one, have my own job. I wanted yeah. to make my own money uh-huh. from a very young age. I knew that that was something that I wanted to do. Um, but yeah, I couldn't wait till I turned old enough where McDonald's would hire me. And so That's awesome. I worked at McDonald's.
1: You saw it as like your freedom. That yeah, was like that your was ticket. my
2: freedom. That was like the golden ticket. Uh-huh. The golden arches were the golden <laughs> ticket. Yeah. Um but I, I enjoyed working in fast food. I okay. worked at McDonald's. Um, then all of my friends were working at Bojangles. And so I worked at Bojangles. Uh-huh. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Definitely. I brought home a lot of chicken. Our family loved Bojangles That chicken. sounds no amazing. Joe wishes so, he yeah. knew you then. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't... had Bojangles for breakfast this morning.
1: Nice. That is incredible. I don't um, know how I'm alive after the amount oh of Bojangles I've had. So <laughs> if I ever worked there, it would be...
2: Yeah, it was, it's but fault, it was, <laughs> it was a good job. Um, I enjoyed it, mm-hmm. but then um, I went from there to Subway because again, friends were there uh-huh. and it was making a little bit more than what Bone Jamal's okay. was. And yeah. so um, I really enjoyed being a sandwich artist. Yeah, I, a lot of people look back on their time working in fast food and they were like, oh, those were awful. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. Um, and so from there, I worked there during high school, and then when I graduated from high school, I actually went into the Army National Guard.
1: Okay, yeah, that's And right.
2: so I was in the National Guard for six years. Um, after basic training and your job training, AIT, mm-hmm. then it's part-time. And so I was able to go to college, and then one weekend a month, two weeks in the summer, yeah. I was on duty. And so while I was in school... Other than doing National Guard, I also worked at our computing help desk at JMU. (laughs) Yeah. So I did that. Um, And then once I graduated college, I worked at Rosetta Stone and I was there for a while. I did various different jobs. Yeah. So I started out in the HR department Uh doing um, a talent acquisition coordinator job where I was scheduling interviews for the entire company. It was insane. (laughs) Went from there to a customer service position, um, servicing anyone and everyone who would want to purchase Rosetta Stone from there. Um, I had a more streamlined job where I was just working with companies and schools that were purchasing and still just doing customer service. Okay. Went from there to supporting the admin. so helping them to implement, went from there to doing <laughs> an opportunity development position, lots of jobs um that I did. Do you have there. any work experience? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any working experience? No, not much. Just eighteen thousand jobs. Yeah. Um but from there, I did some entry-level sales, and that's how I got into um, sales that, that I've done for my most of my career after that point. Uh-huh. So I did entry-level sales, and then I did account management where I had a specific territory. Yeah, And so I did that for a while. I did that particular job wait I think what'd eight you years. go to college
1: for what was your
2: yeah so I was a communication studies major uh-huh. um organizational communication was my concentration yeah. and so ideally I wanted to do training and development for companies uh-huh. um go in see how a company is communicating with their employees yeah. make that process better yeah do training and things okay. like that so, yeah. sorry I cut you off because you No, it's okay that's
1: interesting <laughs> though okay uh-huh. keep going <laughs> and so
2: yeah I did um sales with Rosetta Stone for a while, and then um, we moved. And so during all of that, we were also in church leadership. Our church asked us to um, be a part of a church plant coming here to Richmond. And okay. so that's what got us here. Yeah. And during that time, also, my company had mass layoffs, mm. acquisitions, all of that. Uh-huh. And so um, my job and career with Rosetta Stone ended and that's when I decided to live out one of my lifelong dreams of being a server. Yes. <laughs> so while everything was in transition, I, yeah, I was a server for a little while at Napa Kitchen and Wine here locally, which is where we met. That's how we met, <laughs> so yep. In one of those little transition moments. Um. So yeah, worked there for a little while also in the midst of that um close to when we met i met another wonderful person who offered me a another job opportunity yeah. And so i studied for two weeks got my insurance license yeah became a license insurance agent and i did that for a little while yeah. as well
1: and so you need to write a, a book at some place. point yeah yeah because and those two <laughs> things happened around the same time yeah, right around you the met same time. her and me and we were both like yeah um i have a career path idea for you
2: <laughs> <laughs> and i was in the place where i was you know ready to try something different yeah. i had done the same thing for a long time and you know i had Capacity to try something new, mm-hmm. something different, lean into areas that I've considered but hadn't really, you know, flesh out a little bit. So well, yeah, because yeah. this
1: will—I mean, this ties completely into our topic mm-hmm. today. But the even when we met mm-hmm. and our conversation around coaching, yeah, no, you hadn't done that professionally yet, but right. you've always been a coach yeah. in your interactions and relationships, yeah, which is is pretty common for coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's those threads of like, yeah, but you've actually always been doing that. Uh-huh. It just wasn't always delivered on a, a platter a silver right. platter as like, here's your 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 major in college and your job yeah. right out of. So I actually think this is cool because part of why I asked the question on career path is, you know, there's so many generalists and creatives and yeah. people helpers and people who are like, Yeah, but where do I fit? I don't mm-hmm. know. My path isn't perfectly straight. Right. And it's like, yeah, you you're not alone. That's actually pretty common, but it's hard when you don't hear these stories. Right. You think like everyone else just knows exactly what to do, and it's all lined up. Um, I I love how yours bounces oh, all yeah, around, all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that.
2: Absolutely.
1: Um, well, I guess we we can get into it right from there because yeah. we want to talk about imposter syndrome. Yeah. It's wow. probably one of the most common things people say coming to greenhouse. Uh huh. And yet. I don't know. We don't talk about it a lot because it's right. it's like a bit squishy. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a funny topic. Yeah, it's like a squishy. It's hard to it's hard to wrap your head around it.
2: Yeah, and a lot of times right now it seems like it's one of those topics that has started to come up a lot, and it seems like oh imposter syndrome, like yeah. this trendy thing. Yeah. But a lot of times people don't realize that it has been talked about for years and years and years, mm-hmm. but it hadn't been named as a quote-unquote syndrome. Yeah, Um, I think imposter phenomenon is what it used to be called. Mm. But a lot of people for years have been experiencing this feeling of being a fraud, Mm -hmm. this feeling of, you know, I'm in this space and I'm looking around and... I don't think that I belong here. Yeah. Why am I here? Who who told me that I could be here? What what mm-hmm. qualifies me for this? Yeah. Even though on paper you can have written out all the credentials, all the qualifications, yeah, right, and why you should be here, but still within yourself, you're like, I'm a fraud. They're well, I'm find actually
1: that's part of why I've been loving these all these um like super famous musicians and celebrity the documentaries that come uh-huh. out because a lot of them experience it too, where they yeah. think my success is not deserved, yeah, and yet. You're looking at them like, no, you're one of the most famous people in the world. (laughs) And they feel it too. Yeah. Sometimes even more than other, like, quote unquote, normal people.
2: Absolutely. Even um, as I was just looking at different information, I found a quote by Maya Angelou, Mm. of all people, where she had, you know, at that point she had written 11 books. And she was saying that after every single book, she's like, okay, okay. This is the time they're gonna find out that I'm yeah. faking it all, like oh I'm gosh. I'm gonna be unmasked, like I'm dealing like she was saying how she's dealing with imposter syndrome, even as I mean, you know, world yeah. renowned author and yeah. poet and all of this. Um, but even her and I also found Albert Einstein. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. This Thought that his inventions were actually not as great as people were making it out to be. He's actually uh-huh. not as smart as uh-huh. people are saying, yeah. and feeling like a fraud. And it's like you're looking like yes. you're freaking out the yeah. Like what? But but when you yeah. say it like
1: that, it does make more sense because of course we're just seeing like his top accomplishments right. and the finished product. And he, what he sees of himself is all the doubts, all the, the questions, yeah. all the like struggles and the failures and mm-hmm. the the whole thing. Yeah, like. I was thinking as you were sharing your career path Mm -hmm. and I'd love to hear more of your like experiences with imposter syndrome. Cause I mean, you just got done coaching someone we were talking about. He he was sharing how, um, just how helpful it was and how energizing it was and how Mm -hmm. good the whole thing was for his mental health, for Mm -hmm. his career, for his decision-making, for even just his personal growth. And it's like, you're, you're like on paper. Yeah. you're, brand new to coaching, uh-huh. it, it doesn't, you don't have to be the world's leading expert for the past 10 decades right. to be good at something yeah. or to give, to like bring value in mm-hmm. something. And I think that's, that's where I always think about imposter syndrome. Yeah. Like everyone actually has value to bring. Yeah. It's not like, are you the best in the world? Mm-hmm. But, maybe share like what your experience with it has been
2: yeah absolutely when thinking specifically about coaching uh-huh. you know going into those sessions and knowing that okay this is not just like a friendly conversation this is something that someone is investing in themselves mm-hmm. and i'm the person that they're trusting to lead this self discovery this career planning or whatever the topic is and I, I do I I sit in the car and I yeah. kind of freak out a yeah. little bit beforehand because I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this is going to be the time I'm going to get in there. Uh-huh. I'm going to have no words to say and they're going to yell that I'm a fraud yeah, and I'm going to exactly. go running screaming out of there." Yeah. Um and so, yeah, every time I'm like, I don't Maybe I don't deserve to be here. Maybe I'm I'm not the person for this. Why would Steve trust me to take on this client? You know, I have all these thoughts and I have to work actively to Uh combat that. Like, no, Brittany, you are qualified. You do have experience. You do have something to offer. Your perspective is valuable. Mm. You can't, like, I have to constantly tell myself a different narrative Mm -hmm. so that I don't settle into that that fear of, it's fear of failure is a lot of the, Mm. what fuels it for me is like, I'm going to let them down. I'm going to disappoint them and they're going to find out that I'm a fraud. Yeah. <laughs>
1: you yeah. know? Well, that. I remember the first time I realized, and yeah, I've struggled with it my whole life, but the first time I realized it was mm-hmm. I was graduating college as an engineer. Uh huh. And I think I've shared this on the podcast before, but it was a career fair and uh-huh. you're going around all day in a suit and tie, like interviewing with every big name company ever. Yeah. And oh my God, I felt like such a fraud and a fake the whole day. <laughs> Meanwhile, probably most of the people did. I don't know. There are a few pretty arrogant people. <laughs> they were like, yeah, I'm the best thing ever. But but I would go up and talk to these people. And I kept thinking in my head all day. There was this thought. I was like, I actually don't know how to engineer anything. You know, like uh-huh. I got decent grades on tests. I can take right. tests. Uh-huh. I know how to like do some math equations. but I have zero idea how to like design or build anything out in the real world. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, I was like, they're going to find out uh-huh. like one of these places is going to hire me and then find out. I don't know how to do anything. Yeah. And I just, I I try to tell people in that stage that I, I try to share that with them now when I get the chance. Cause mm-hmm. I'm like, so many of us are thinking that, but no one said it. Mm-hmm. So you think everyone else knows what they're doing and I don't.
2: Right, I'm the only one. <laughs> yeah.
1: And then I realized like, oh no, this goes back to like middle school and high school, I I never knew what group of friends I fit in with. Mm -hmm. You know, all these kind of things, like you never knew where you fit and it's this deeper identity thing.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Did you have that at all with like friend groups growing up?
2: So as far as friend groups, not as much, but I will say in playing sports. Mm. And I was reflecting yesterday I think imposter syndrome is a lot of the reason why I quit basketball. Okay, And so aside from um, the pressure to like be amazing and perform and be perfect and all of that. So there was a lot of pressure there. But the bigger reason was so when I was in 10th grade, I was... You know, um, I made the varsity basketball team. And so usually ninth and 10th graders, unless you were really good, yeah. you played JV.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Well, I was on the varsity team and there was one game, one of the earlier games, and I was on the starting five. Dang. And, you know, pats on the back, pat's <laughs> on the back. But the seniors on the team, like, they were really upset because there was a senior that I started over. Yeah. And so I started to believe that, I didn't belong there. Like, oh, my skills are not as good as hers. Like, why would they put me in this position? Why would I be on this team? I shouldn't be here, I should be on JV. Like all of these, and it flooded so much that I was like, I I can't, I can't stay. Uh And I literally quit the team. I quit the team because it, it just got too much. And I felt like I didn't belong. I shouldn't be here. I haven't played basketball as long as they have. Yeah. Why would I be in this, you know, elevated position starting over seniors as a sophomore? What? Yeah. Like, that's crazy. And I have I allowed it to let me quit. And I could probably, if I think long enough, I'd probably <laughs> think of other times in my life yeah. where... Those negative voices and the lies got so loud that it kept me from doing mm-hmm. things, kept me from excelling, kept me from walking in a position I had been <laughs> given because I believed the lies.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah. Ugh, yeah. No, thanks for sharing that story. Yeah. I can relate to that big time. I think I've had some some similar yeah. situations growing up. Um I'm curious your thoughts about this. Mm-hmm. I I'm always hesitant to share it in a forum like this Mm because you don't know who's listening in their situation. But in coaching, I'll often share with people struggling with this.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. No, you actually do have unique skills, Mm -hmm. value to bring. It's actually by definition, every person's unique because there's a different combination of your personality, your experiences, Mm -hmm. your skills, your, you know, all of these things Mm -hmm. shape a unique combination. And so... Yeah, you might be a generalist at um, working at a company where all the specialists are actually the ones praised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you're like, I don't know what I do. yeah, And I don't know how to articulate what I do. I just kind of wear all the hats and do a little of everything. Uh-huh. And so that's where it gets hard and the message starts to seep in. But if you can just start to get a little more clear on what you do bring to the table, yeah. what you are good at, there is actually, you actually have a unique value to bring and then that can start to combat the negative voices yes absolutely so i'm curious your thoughts on that because that's usually um my my first like tip on what do you what do you do about this yeah
2: absolutely i think that is probably one of my top tips as well okay you know figuring out one a list of why you are qualified what credentials you do have like just laying out the actual facts. Mm. I have this degree, I have this experience, I've been in this different place or space, um, so that you know, okay, at least on paper, I am qualified. Uh-huh. And from there, one of the practices that I have found being extremely helpful, some people may call it like renewing your mind, okay. but it's a, it's a real thing. So what happens in our brain a lot of times when we experience something or we think something, there is a neural pathway that is formed to that thought. Mm -hmm. And the more we visit that, which a lot of times is the negative, (laughs) we visit that so much that when something happens or we hit an experience, as soon as the feeling is familiar, we visit the negative place. Like, it's just second nature. Uh What we have to do is exactly what you were saying. We have to know and say the opposite. No, know, like knowing yeah. what the truth is and you have to literally re-write, reroute your brain yeah. so building another neural pathway start intentionally visiting the positive yeah. rather than the negative until it becomes second nature to now think the positive way and that can happen in our brains. sometimes people have the misconception that once we get to a certain age we stop developing our brain stops developing yeah. but that's not true you can change your wiring of how you think mm-hmm. just by constantly and intentionally visiting a different thought process.
1: Well, and that's the key, right? Yeah. Constantly and intentionally. Mm-hmm. It's not a one and done. And I think
2: right. American culture wanna... sets us up to yeah. be like,
1: oh, well, I hear it once and then I'm good to go. You actually have to practice it. You, you have to, to like rehearse it, like... it over and over, just like you've rehearsed the negative thought yes. over and over. I was at a conference where, um, have you heard of Dr. Caroline Leaf? No, I haven't. oh, okay. She has some books and g- good stuff on this. Okay. She was an early on researcher in, mm-hmm. um, like applied neuroscience. Yeah. Before it got like more buzz, and I heard her speak. It was such a good talk because she showed a video clip of what you're describing. Oh wow! I mean, I was my jaw was on the floor. It was so cool. It was like basically a video clip of the negative pathway being mm-hmm. reinforced and like black. On the screen like the black expanded Mm -hmm. like the um i forget exactly what what tool or machine she was using Mm -hmm. to like create the video but it was the dark expanding and then um she showed the reinforcing of the of the positive Uh pathway and the the dark was shrinking Uh and it was turning light and the light was like expanding i
2: mean oh my gosh (laughs) watching it yeah it's probably like one of those like in tears like oh my gosh moment
1: yes many Uh, people including myself were like in tears seeing seeing it happen it's like oh my gosh this is crazy but yeah um but yeah, that, that strikes me about what you're saying yeah. is the repetitive part of
2: it. You not have just... to be consistent with it, the same way that you will consistently discount yourself. And it happens like so like you almost don't realize it's happening. Yeah. Someone says something and you just discredit yourself. Oh, you're so great at yeah, mm-hmm. I'm okay. Or oh, but this time I failed or you like automatically before you can even like catch it. It's oh, out.
1: yeah. We'll always catch me and Ashley will catch each other because at the end of sentences we'll often say like, but I don't know. Right. And you it's do that, know. You, literally <laughs> you just you said, just said it. the you thing, do you know, know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's small stuff. It's funny stuff, too. It's like, I mean, that that cup seems purple, but I don't know. Like, it's like no, it's, it's purple. It's literally purple. So <laughs> you can just be confident there. Yeah. But, OK, so how do you how do you do that? Mm -hmm. That practicing, that reinforcing.
2: Yeah. A big part of it, and I don't want to say it's a fake it till you make it, but um, in the sense that sometimes it's so simple as like writing down Mm -hmm. whatever the positive thought is or the affirmation. People are big on affirmations now, Mm -hmm. but it's actually a great practice writing down that and read it. Just read it out loud, hear something different, hear a an opposing thought. So that the more that you hear it and you say it, you're gonna start to believe it. Yeah. But at first, you might just be saying, I am, I am a great person. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you might not believe yeah. that at all. Yeah. But the more that you say it and uh. the more that you revisit that thought. You're gonna that little that little bit of light is starting to to close in <laughs> on that darkness. Uh-huh. Kind of like the example you were sharing. Um, but I think that's kind of where you have to start because You know, like you said, it's not a one-and-done. It's not like I'm gonna start saying affirmations today and believe them today. Yeah, That's not the case because Hmm. for so long, for years, I have said and believed the negative or whatever it is that I feel like I'm an imposter in. I've believed that for so long. Uh It's gonna take a long time for me to truly believe and walk in my actual identity and be confident in that.
0: Yeah, Yeah.
1: Oh, that's so true. It makes me think of the times where I, when I started to do this work realizing some of the things I was good at Mm -hmm. that at the time were not valued in my job. So that was part of... I mean, that's big for a lot of people. That was like my main area of struggle because it's like, well, I'm not really rewarded or recognized for this. So do I have anything to offer? Do Mm -hmm. these things matter? Um, And then starting to realize and rehearse that stuff led to starting to... Um, do some of those things yeah. that I was good at which also adds to the reinforcement because now other people are mm-hmm. are also enforcing yeah. the positive nar- narrative oh you're good at that like mm-hmm. oh huh. I'm good I at am. that <laughs> <laughs> okay and yeah to your point you, you don't, don't believe it at first
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that
1: was uh that was a helpful step for me I didn't yeah. realize till later but
2: yeah yeah definitely with that and then i would also say because a lot of times what also will add to that narrative or the negative thinking is actually experiencing failure or getting criticism even if it's constructive but receiving that in the, in those different topics and so learning to take that but not personally. So taking it serious and using failure as a a learning opportunity, but not letting that define you and make you feel like, oh, I failed. So that equals I'm a failure, mm. but I failed. So what can I learn from that? Uh-huh. How does this make me better? And okay. They criticized me in this area and so, therefore, I'm terrible at it and I should never do it again. Yeah. No, use that as a point of growth in a way that you can. OK, how can I take that seriously, but not let that define me? Yeah. OK, you said that when I speak, I could, you know, use less filler words. That uh-huh. was a, a recent topic on the, yeah. <laughs> the podcast. I, I could use less filler words. OK, that doesn't mean I'm a horrible speaker. Yeah. That means that's an opportunity for growth. So you have to reshape your perspective mm-hmm. so that you don't allow those things to completely diminish who you are, but you can use them as stepping stones.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a struggle when we are so prone to looking at our our work as our for our identity, yeah. like where we find our identity and mm-hmm. is such a part of this. Yeah. This has been a really good discussion, even for me. Yeah. I have some takeaways. <laughs> but for all of us who struggle with imposter syndrome, what's what's like your main takeaway?
2: Yeah. I think definitely understanding that. It's a process. The same way that it took a while for you to establish those negative thought patterns and those feelings that informed you feeling like an imposter, it's going to take some time for you to undo that. And so, being patient with yourself, but also being consistent with coming up with the opposite narrative. So, saying those affirmations, even writing down the truth about who you are and what actually does qualify you to be where you are Uh and in the opportunities that you are experiencing. So I think that would probably be my biggest takeaway is be consistent, recognize what you do actually bring to the table, and maybe even writing that down so that you can see it quantified (laughs) on paper because a lot of times that's going to help you to begin to believe it.
1: Okay, but Brittany, what if you're... What if you're so deep in imposter Mm -hmm. syndrome that it's actually taken over and you don't know what the truth about you is? Yeah. What do you do then?
2: Yeah, that's a great question because a lot of people will find themselves in that very position. And so taking it all the way back to the basics and the very simple fact of how did I get here? Mm -hmm. Where I currently am Mm -hmm. in this position, in this place, how did I get here? The facts of that, you know, did you apply for a position? Do you have a particular degree? Did you, um, whatever got you to where you currently are? What are those facts? And then from there, we can start to figure out what uniquely about you and your character also qualifies you to be there. But starting with the, how did I get here? Mm -hmm. That could be the key to unlocking your moving past imposter syndrome.